Good morning, everyone. It was great to it's great to be with you. I really appreciated um, the Hoffeckers and Kim's leading us in in song and in our liturgy this morning. Um, I love seeing the Christmas tree in the background, the Christmas carols. And when Grant was um, speaking and Michelle was playing guitar in the background, it just felt like like you're in their living room. Um, and I just wanted like a cup of hot chocolate to be with them. And um, it was great. I just really appreciated that. Today, we're going to be continuing through the book of Genesis as part of our as part of our restarting our series in Genesis. We're in our third week of Advent. And um, today's word, I think, is hope. And so we'll be talking about aspects of hope because this is the beginning of Abram receiving the promise and receiving the blessing. And the idea that I wanted to explore today that I often get asked questions about is what is the relationship between our behavior and God's blessing? Can you earn God's blessing or somehow do, your, do our actions merit God doing things in our behalf? And I think often the answer to that question within these gospel circles is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference what you do. Um, that God will bless us. And yet then the question is, what's the point? Why do we why do we bother with actions and behavior? And why is there so much emphasis within the Christian life around actions and behavior and thoughts? Um, and so I wanted to explore that and, and think about that today. So we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 13. I'm going to start with Genesis 13, 1 through 4. We'll just do that that part of it and then uh, and then move from there. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So that's that's the first section um, that I'm going to be reading. And what I want you to notice is that there's a context to this chapter, and that's that's the previous one. Abram experienced famine and then brought uh, his wife and Lot with him um, into Egypt. And he lied in order to protect his life. He lied about his wife being his sister. And as a result, the, uh, Pharaoh's household is cursed. But Abraham, Abram comes back with all kinds of stuff. He comes back with livestock. It says in verse two, now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And last week, the emphasis was that Abram was afraid. I mean, God had given him this magnificent promise in terms of covenant. And he promises him descendants and he promises him land. And none of those things Abraham has received yet. But even though his family is starving, God provides for him. God gives him numerous material blessings. So Abram is starving as he goes into Egypt and he comes out with way more riches than what he came in with. And there's no biblical condom. There's no condemnation for what Abram did. And part of my emphasis throughout this uh, passage last week was that Abram was afraid. And yet it doesn't mention fear as part of that text. And again, like I said, there's no condemnation of it. And so you get the sense that God is going to bless Abram no matter what he does, no matter what Abram does, even though he is deceptive about his wife, God continues to bless him. And that's, that's one of the themes in the Genesis narrative. 
So no matter what you do, so that's the first thing I would say about the way God blesses, no matter what you do, your actions don't really are not relevant to hit to blessing. If God wants to bless you, he will do so even in the most unlikely of situations, even when your life is threatened, uh, God will find a way to bless you and give you more than you think. Nothing can get in the way, including negative circumstances. And the one thing that makes me think about in this season is that I was talking with a friend yesterday about being in this pandemic and living in Silicon Valley. And if you're employed in tech, the pandemic has accelerated certain trends of being reliant upon tech. And so companies that were making tech companies that were making money um, before the pandemic have made even more money during this time. And if you've been employed by these companies, you have stock in these companies, your wealth has increased. So even in the midst of adversity, in the midst of when um, there is a, a natural disaster, people have been able to prosper. And I think um, a lot of us may believe that that has to do with some kind of skill or intelligence um, on your part, um, for those of you who have experienced that kind of blessing. And yet I think one of the, the messages throughout this book and throughout, the, throughout salvation history is that God blesses irrespective of skill and intelligence. So by virtue of you living this, in this area where you happen to be in the right place in the right time for God to pour out those blessings. And if you're not employed in tech, you may feel some resentment or envy or temptation to feel resentment and envy um, over those who do and have experienced those kind of material blessings. I know I'm not immune um, from that temptation. And I would like to point out that this covenant God has given us through Jesus Christ is not primarily about material blessings. And even the covenant that God promised Abraham is not primarily about material blessings. It was almost like, it is like all these material blessings God gave to Abram were secondary. They were a picture of what was to come. They are for, it's foreshadowing the greater blessings God wants to give Abram, which is two specific things, descendants and land. None of which at this point, Abraham, Abram, he's going to be Abraham, none of which Abram has yet received. So even though God has blessed, has blessed Abram with all these belongings, God hasn't yet given what he's promised Abram, he would give Abram. All right. And yet the, and yet the blessings continue. So let me, uh, and let, so let me say that if, if you're, if you experience that temptation, because you, it's easy to compare yourself with other people and how they have been blessed more greater in, in material wealth than you have. Could I submit that the covenant God has given us through Jesus is a covenant of, of eternal and spiritual blessings of forgiveness of meaning and of hope. The things that, um, the Hoffeckers and Kims have led us in singing about. And the, the Christmas carols we sing about, those are the richest blessings that God wants to give us. And so let's keep exploring what um, this journey of blessing that Abraham experiences or Abram experiences. We're going to continue reading in chapter 13. We're going to read verses 5 to 18, 5 to the end of the chapter. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. 
Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. I'm sorry, I think I, I, think I missed a section. Let me, let me read a, a section that was missing. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now it's 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so, the, that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And I want you to notice, um, Abram has already built an altar from the very beginning, uh, what, from, the very, from the beginning of entering the promised land um, in Canaan. And then he builds another altar here. And the other thing I want you to notice is that they, because they have a lot of stuff, and that's in verse five, there is so much stuff. It says, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Both Abram and Lot have just a massive amount of stuff, donkeys, livestock, servants, and there is not, there is, there isn't room enough on the land for both of them. So the first thing you will notice is that domestic strife is a major theme within Genesis, strife between relatives. And I also want you to notice that being, having material blessing is actually the source of the strife. So a lot of times we look at um, domestic strife as an indication of curse, right? And there is, there is definitely a cursed aspect of strife, of, of division. And yet what we see here is that prosperity is actually the reason why they're not getting along. Having all the stuff is one of the reasons why they're not getting along. And so there is a reality that often when God bless us with all, all these different things, it can lead to division. And that's not because the material stuff itself is evil. That's more the nature of humanity. That as fallen people, we're not great stewards of stuff, of, of material possessions. And this is also, again, a theme, because as we'll see later in Genesis, you have strife between brothers because they have too much stuff, whether it's children or servants or wives, you know, there will be conflict in that area. Um, that is a major aspect of the narrative within Genesis. And so Abram comes up with a solution. And again, this is not something God calls him to, but he decides, you know what, I'm going to give freedom for Lot, to, for Lot, his nephew, to decide what he wants to do with the land. He can take whatever land he wants. And so his plan, you'll notice, is to allow Lot to choose which part of the land. Now, here's the thing. In Genesis 12, God already told Abram what land he was going to take. So it's a little strange that 
Abram would allow Lot to pick because God told Abram which land he's supposed to take. And so this could indicate faith on Abram's part that Lot will probably choose what God didn't, what God didn't choose so that Abram can go and be in the land of Canaan because that's, that's exactly what happens. And I want you to notice that as we look at Lot's words, the words that are described a lot, it says in verse, I think it's verse nine, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. And so Lot notices what is what looks the most beautiful. And he decides, and those, that word lifted up his eyes means to pay attention to, to look around. So Lot notices and looks around. He takes a good look and he sees that the Jordan Valley is way nicer, way more lush. It's well watered um, than the land of Canaan. And that's what he chooses. And in here, we're going to see there is this uh, divide now, this, these two paths, one where Abram lives by faith and the other where Lot lives by sight. And Lot decides he, he's going to choose what looks better. And then what we're going to find, what looks better isn't actually better. Okay, because there's going to be a strife that Lot gets involved with because of this choice, because he's short-sighted. And so what I, would, what I would say is oftentimes when we, what looks good may not actually be the best for us. And it's easy to be short-sighted in this culture. And Lot is an example of what it means to be short-sighted. And yet God is going to bless Abram <clears throat> despite letting Lot pick what looks like the better land. And now we're going to go into Genesis 14 into uh, the second chapter. And I'm just going to read toward the end of it. And let me give you a little setup here. Lot settles in, Lot settles near Sodom and then gets embroiled in a conflict. And there are four kings that fight five kings. And Lot is captured by the king, by one of the kings and carried away. Um, and that king, I'm going to try to say his name, is um, Ch Chatterlaumer. That's what I'm going to go with. Someone might correct me, but I'm going to go with that pronunciation. Chatterlaumer. One of the kings that, um, that captures Lot is called Chatterlaumer. And then Abram goes out and defeats Chatterlaumer to get Lot back, as well as bring back a bunch of possessions, including people. And so the his in chapter 14, verses 17, is Abram. After his return, that's Abram, from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that's Abram, at the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. 
Those last three names are companions of Abram. And there are 318 men that go with Abram into this battle and then defeat these four kings. And so there's a whole, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on in this section. And one of the things I want to point out is, first off, Abraham's, Abram still doesn't have kids. He still doesn't have any land. And yet he goes out and goes to war on behalf of Lot. And what I said earlier about Abram lying about his sister was totally understandable because there was no one to avenge him. There was no family that would stand up for him back when he was in Egypt. And so when Lot gets captured, the only person who's going to stand up for Lot is Abram. So there's a sense where Abram is obligated to rescue his nephew because there's no one else that's going to be able to go out and save him. There's no one else who, who cares. And Abram lives that out. And so, and God gives him victory over what's likely, we don't know exactly, but was likely a superior, at least he's a force that outnumbers him. And in the process, Abram rescues Lot along with a bunch of people and possessions. And then you have the sequence where they're celebrating the victory. And out of nowhere, there's a man who is a king and a priest named Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. And it also says he's a priest of God most high. He brings out bread and wine. And in this celebration, and we always have to pay attention when there's poetry in the text. And Genesis is full of poetry. And again, in chapter 14, it ends with this poem. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered enemies into your hand. And Melchizedek is this is this strange kind of figure who pops out of nowhere and is foreshadowing what Jesus will be like, who is both a priest and a king. And Melchizedek doesn't really appear again. And he just says these words in bringing out bread and wine and then receives this 10th of everything that Abram has and then disappears, okay, totally disappears. And then you have another king who speaks and that's King Sodom who was defeated initially and now his stuff and his and some of his people have been rescued by Abram. And so um, the king of Sodom in verse 21 says, give me the persons, which means the persons that belong to Sodom, but were taken by Chedorlaomer. Give those people back to me, but you can keep everything else. You can keep the goods. And in this case, Abram doesn't take anything. He doesn't give anything. He doesn't take it. He just says, uh, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And so again, you have this growing sense and confidence that even though Abram took stuff from Egypt, that Abram has this sense that he's going to continue to be blessed and he does not need more stuff. He doesn't want want Sodom stuff. In fact, he doesn't need it to the extent he's even willing to give a tenth of it to Melchizedek, this priest and king of God Most High. And so, what what I'm what I'm going to conclude with is this three aspects of the purpose of why we do what we do. What is the idea behind God's blessing, and what influence do our actions and behavior have on it? First off. Our thoughts and actions matter because they bring glory to God. And that's where I want you to notice this poem that Melchizedek says. First, he says, blessed be Abraham, Abram by God most high. And notice that term, God most high, is repeated four times 
in this passage. It doesn't appear uh, anywhere else in Genesis and in most of the Bible, not all. God Most High, he's called priest of God Most High. He's blessed be Abraham by God Most High and blessed be God Most High. So the first purpose of our actions is to bring fame to God, is to bless God's name, his character. And blessing God's character means telling people about it. And so notice in verse 22, when Abram talks to King Sodom, the king of Sodom, he says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high. He calls God by the name, the character and works and reputation that Melchizedek uses. And he tells that to a foreign king. And he also includes the, the other title, possessor of heaven and earth. God most high, the highest God and possessor of heaven and earth. The reasons why your thoughts and actions matter is because they glorify, they make great the name of God. And a blessing isn't just about material blessing because it says, blessed be the God most high. To bless someone else, to, it means to praise or honor them. So your thoughts and actions matter in order to bring praise and honor to someone else, to God himself. They don't influence necessarily how much God blesses you, but they do bring praise and honor to God. The second aspect of what our actions and behavior, how they matter, is that they allow others to receive blessing as well. Your thoughts and actions don't curry favor with God, but they are a conduit through which other people are blessed. And in this case, Lot is blessed because of Abram's choice to rescue him. See, Abram's going to be blessed no matter what. But Abram decides, I will use the blessing that I have, and I will go out um, and, and fight in order, to, in order for my nephew to share in this blessing that I've received. And notice Lot does not deserve this. He was short-sighted. He chose the land that he wanted, and he got it. <laughs> and yet Abram chooses to bless this nephew of his. And so your thoughts and actions matter in giving others an opportunity to receive blessings, both material and spiritual, and in this case, the blessing of his own life, of Lot's life. And then the last thing, why thoughts and actions matter. They matter because uh, what we do builds our relationship with God, which is the ultimate blessing. And so what I want you to notice is you go back to chapter 13. And in 13 verses 14, it says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from where, from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward. And he goes on and he talks about the offspring and he uses the same term that Lot also uses, which is to lift up your eyes. But the interesting thing is when Lot lifts up his eyes, it's to see what is already there. When God asks Abram to lift up his eyes, it's to see what is not there yet. And what God is teaching Abram is I want you to see from my perspective. And I want you to use your imagination to trust in the promises that I'm going to give you. You will not be able to see them physically yet, but I want you to see them through my eyes because this is the land that he's gonna receive and he hasn't received it yet. He says, I want you to believe and trust this promise. 
what God is doing with Abram is saying, hey, I want to build your, I want to build our relationship. And you'll notice throughout the text, Abram continues to build altars, to return to these altars and call on the name of the Lord, because the relationship is two-way. When you build a relationship, it's a two-way street. Someone speaks to you and you speak in return. And that's what you notice in this chapter, in these chapters. God speaks to Abram and then Abram responds. The building of these altars and calling on the name of the Lord is how Abram responds to God. So your thoughts and actions matter in building your relationship with God and building your trust with him. Your thoughts and actions matter to appreciate and see the blessings that he has given you. And I think that is a challenge today. I think that is super, that's been super difficult for me to see the blessings um, in this time of pandemic, in this time where I was hoping to have an in-person service and hope in hopes to be able to see and be with many of you in, in hopes of wanting to give hugs and um, in, in all these different hopes that I have um, imagined when starting this church. And yet what God is lifting up my eyes to see is that there is there are tremendous blessings that he has for me. That there are riches of forgiveness and hope and peace that he wants to offer. And that there are ways in which the body of Christ is being manifest and used today that I cannot see with my physical eyes, that I have to trust are happening because I don't get to experience, I don't get to witness them firsthand. And even this, this uh, Zoom meeting is a way in which we are experiencing something and we don't get to see it with our, with our physical eyes, if you will. But we have to use our imagination and technology to believe the spirit of God working amidst us. So that's the, the question to share about today, is how is God lifting up your eyes? What is he doing to lift up your eyes today so that you can see the blessings? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your relentless pursuit of us and how you bless us no matter what. Help us to see our thoughts and actions and our behavior not as a way to get your favor, not as a way to secure your blessings, um, but as a way to praise you and bring honor to you, to bless your name, as a way to bless others. And finally, as a way to build um, trust in you, Lord, to build our relationship. So Lord, would you lift up our eyes today to see the blessings and promise that you have for us? We pray this in your name. Amen.